Before we begin, you should know that this episode deals with the trauma of police brutality. This season, we're highlighting other indie Black podcasts. The Wild Black Podcast is a space designed by and especially for us. They're here for all the moments, the times you want to scream, the times you just need someone to say it plain and make it make sense, the times you need to laugh, or some inspiration and motivation. Wild Black is here to help you, entertain you, inform you, and inspire you. So do yourself a favor and ride with them wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, welcome to the mid-season finale of You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abraham Zalunga. Before we begin, you should know that this episode deals with the trauma of police brutality. When our team thought of this season's theme, unraveling, I couldn't help but to picture a piece of string wound up tightly in a ball. You can't see where it begins or ends, or the parts where it's stronger or more worn down. You can't really do too much with it, to be honest. But as the ball of string unravels, you can begin to see its qualities, how it's woven, how strong it is, and you can begin to think of all the possibilities of how it can be used or what it can be made into. That image was on my mind working on this story. As we grieve the lives of Micaiah Bryant, Dante Wright, Adam Toledo, Dominique Lucius, and so many other members of our communities, this spring also marks one year since the global uprisings sparked by the deaths of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Tony McDade, and countless other folks killed by police. At the time, Kennedy was a college student in San Jose, California, and active in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, mostly online. She hadn't ever been to a protest, but this time felt different. Like many of us, Kennedy felt charged with anger, sadness, fear, and a small glimmer of hope. It's with this energy that they boarded the Valley Transportation Authority train and headed to a local protest, armed with nothing but a cell phone. Almost from the moment they arrived, things began to unravel. Here's what happened. So, I guess, you know, black girl magic and all that good shit, I am definitely a motherfucking mermaid. I took my shirt off, I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. But they start taking everything off. I was like, niggas don't skinny dip. Black women are healers and nobody can tell me any different. You're listening to You Had Me at Black. It's May 29th, 2020, and I'm on my phone, and I'm kind of just going through social media, and all I'm seeing is, you know, people posting about BLM, and I found out there's a protest, like, 20 minutes from where I live, and I was kind of just like, well, they're there right now, I'm just gonna go. I had a <laughs> a white tank top on, a spaghetti strap. Some some blue Hollister jeans and my my black bands that I would always wear, and then I had my my wallet in one pocket and my phone in the other, and I kind of just told my roommates that I'm gonna go to a protest right now. You guys can come if you want. If not, I'm gonna head out. They're already there, so I'm just gonna go. The ride to the protest was like about 15 20 minutes on the VTA and. I'm sitting there kind of just thinking, you know, like, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, 
I don't have a sign or a flag or anything. I'm kind of nervous, but I'm looking forward to it at the same time. I had seen videos of like how they had treated other protesters, but I didn't necessarily know how it was going to go. I tried to prepare myself as mentally like as I could. I feel like tried told my like you you might get hurt there might you might see some things that you've never seen but I just was like I need to be out there I finally get off the VTA and I walk a couple blocks to the city call and I turn this this corner and I could see traffic was stopped and there was a huge crowd of people like to my right and and that was when I had walked up I didn't have any like chance that I knew by heart or anything like that and I did a lot of listening because I wanted to know how everyone else went about it and know kind of like the culture of it. I heard a lot of we have masks if you need a mask, we have hand sanitizer, we have snacks from the local medics and I could only describe that as just community. It's just something I'd never seen before. I feel like you only see that type of thing in certain spaces, and that was definitely one of them. I feel like I could feel, like, the angst, like, in the air. I, I definitely felt some, like, nervousness and just anticipation, people wondering what's going to happen, what's all going to go down. At this point, nothing was happening. There was no type of violence. We were giving people the chance to speak. We were occupying the space. We were kneeling. We had our fists up. We had a moment of silence for all the victims who were taken by police brutality. And then we decided to march a little bit and the cops showed up. They're blaring this message over and over about how this is an unlawful assembly and that we need to disperse immediately. Me and a couple other people are face-to-face with these cops. I had picked the black cop and I just was asking him, you know, why, why are you, why are you here? Why are you a cop? Do you enjoy this? Is this what you like to do when you signed up to be a cop? Is this what you wanted to do? And he told me his side about how he wanted to change it from within and do better and make sure make a better name for police and I wasn't having it so they start to get more aggressive the police force and he's just telling me like just listen to them don't give them a reason and I'm just like I'm standing here and I can guarantee you they're still going to use excessive force against me and so they're pushing us back because they're still declaring this an unlawful assembly. So when the cops would push back on us they would either use both hands and just physically like shove us or they would use our batons and like kind of whip it in the air as of like get back or they were and if they weren't hitting the air they were physically hitting a lot of us and pushing a lot of us like using physical force not just intimidation tactics they were physically like hitting people and shoving them to the ground and they're shooting us with like rubber bullets like aiming directly at people's faces 
they're people who are all bruised up and they're smacking them directly in their faces and their eyes and their in their stomachs their abdomens those things are meant to be shot at the ground first they're not supposed to be shot directly at people so the people are trying to defend themselves they're grabbing people and they're using whatever they can to kind of like block the police from like getting in front of us the young woman that was standing next to me was arrested they were grabbing anyone that they could they didn't care what you were doing they were just grabbing people and that was when someone had decided to take a knee and in solidarity all of us decided to take a knee so we took a knee giant crowd of us and we decided to get up because the cops start assembling in a way there was a young hijabi girl that was just sitting there and the cops had picked her up and threw her on her stomach and arrested her and there were people who were trying to grab her and her friend was screaming at the top of his lungs like let her go she's not doing anything wrong and like he was tearing up and I was trying to hold him back because I was like these cops are going to hurt you and I don't want that to happen and I just was talking to him and pulling him back and it was just horrible they're still pushing back on us, and I was trying to move back, but a cop felt like I guess I wasn't moving fast enough, so he took his baton, and he hit me in my chest twice, and then as I turned around to try and get away from him, he hit me in my back like three times. Eventually, they, they stopped. They don't stop shooting us with rubber bullets, but they're not hitting us. And they put on gas masks. And I knew what was to come from that, but we just did what we could to try and prepare for it as much as possible. And then I got a call from my mom my parents had been blowing up my phone and so I answered the phone and she's like hey are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm fine I'm not fine I'm literally like running from the police people are getting like smacked in the face my chest hurts my back hurts I'm sore my voice is strained I'm like yeah mom I'm fine and she's like you know you're on the news and I'm like oh why and she's like there's a photo of you talking to a cop and everyone is sending it to me on Facebook all my friends and family and people from church and I'm like oh okay and she's like are you are you sure you're okay and I'm like yeah yeah I'm okay but I have to go I'll I'll talk to you later and she's like okay be safe <laughs> and I was like okay bye the cops are still pushing up on us and they now have put down their their gas masks and People have started to run and people are trying to, you know, push back on the cops and screaming at them to stop and everyone's recording. And then I look back and a cop had thrown a tear gas can and it had landed right behind me, behind my feet. And by the time I had turned around, the whole block was engulfed in tear gas. I couldn't see anything. 
it had happened so quickly and the gas had dispersed very quickly that I had no time really to prepare. And what tear gas does is it affects your insides, like your insides start to burn, your insides, your throat, your stomach, your eyes, uh, your nose, everything starts to burn. I already wear glasses. I cannot see already. I suffer from asthma and I start to become immobilized and I'm trying to get out, but I physically can't. I like fall to the ground and I'm like, literally gagging as if I'm going to throw up, but I can't throw up. So I'm gagging and I'm choking basically on my own like breath. And I don't know how to stop choking. And I was on the ground and someone had seen me and picked me up off the ground. I couldn't see, I didn't know where I was going, but they were, they were guiding me to the sidewalk. I was trying to like open my eyes to like see who these people were and like what, what was happening and it was this this black lady and this white man, they were a couple, and they started asking me, like, are you okay? Do you, do you need some water? Like, put your head back. I'll put some milk in your eyes. And all these people started to come to my aid. And they were like, can I walk you somewhere? Do you need to go home? After they had tear gassed us, they had blocked off all of City Hall, the whole block. The police had all lined up. I guess they were afraid of something, I don't know. I don't know what they were scared of for them to have to defend City Hall in that way. And so at this point, I was just breaking down and I just, I couldn't handle it. I was like crying. And since they had blocked off the whole street, I was asking the cop, I was like, you can't have someone escort me to the other side. And they were like, no, they refused. I was like, I don't want to be here. I just want to go home. Can you just escort me across the street? And they're like, no. And that was kind of my last attempt at trying to see if these people really had like some sort of empathy as to see if they would see me like bawling my eyes out completely immobilized and just hysterical at it all. And they couldn't even walk me across the street. And I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed for sure. The couple had walked me. We had walked around the block to get around the police and to a safe spot. And I took the train home again. I was just like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. I was sore. I was just emotionally drained, all the blood and people getting slammed to the ground and hearing people screaming, like just, it was too much for me. And I was thinking at that point, like, I don't know if I'll ever go out and protest again, because this was a lot to take in for my first time. I get off the train and I, I walk in the house and I look in the mirror and my whole face and my head and my eyes are caked up with tear gas residue. My whole face was like white. And I was just like, this is so disgusting. Like, why did they do this? I, I'm sitting on the couch now and I'm looking at my phone and I'm looking at footage of the protest and just kind of living through it again. And 
people are all hitting up my phone all my friends are sending me like the news article and this this photo of me and at first it wasn't the photo of me kneeling it was just the news article of me talking to the police and then then I started getting the kneeling photo sent to me and I didn't think too much of it I had to go to work the next day at 11 a.m and I had an eight-hour shift I wake up and my phone is blown up people are just hitting me up I had to go through a lot of messages and just say thank you thank you thank you like oh my gosh it was just so like overwhelming and people were trying to get in contact with me and local pages were reposting the photo and I'm like I have to go to work my story begins in September 2020 months into the panty Corona has taken a lot, including my energy, creativity, and sanity. One day, I plopped down with my notebook, willing something, anything to come out. I've been saying that I wanted to write a book, and since I can't really go anywhere, why not try now? But the page stays empty. My anxiety and loneliness seems to dimming whatever creative spark I may have had. My roommate Jasmine walks in and asks me to help her move some furniture get the energy. I'm squatting to pick up the couch when she goes, eh, you know you've been doodling in your notebook for hours. <laughs> Hardy har har, Jasmine. I tell her, look, honestly, it's a little scary how little creative energy I have. Jasmine nods. She's like, yeah, living through a pandemic will exhaust you. But it wasn't just that. The world has been on fire for months now, and I'm craving a way to express how that everything makes me feel. The problem is, I don't know where to start. Jasmine gets this excited look on her face. I recently saw something that I wanted to sign up for. I think you should too. It's called the kinship. The what? The kinship, she says. You know the podcast you had me at Black? Yeah, well, their team created it. It's a digital community designed to nurture your inner creative and give you a creative outlet. They got workshops, creative sessions, virtual meetups, and creative prompts to get your creative juices flowing. It sounds dope as hell. Y'all, I run to my room. I'm signing up now, I shout behind me. Finally, some hope and some inspiration. Take it from me. You may be on lockdown, but your creativity doesn't have to be. Join the kinship at www.youhadmeatblack.com slash I was working at Walmart at this time. Like the person who was working the door was like, I seen your photo. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. So the whole shift, my managers, random people were coming in being like, oh, I I recognized you. One person would be like, oh, I recognized you. And someone else would be like, yeah, I I thought that was her. And I would be like, yeah, that was me. And a lot of people just being super sweet and saying, thank you so much. We really appreciate what you're doing. And just all these sweet, sweet people just expressing like genuine love for me. And as days went on and even hours went on, it went from just locals to 
celebrities. I was on the front page of the newspaper in San Jose, and then I was on the front page of The Guardian, which is the largest news newspaper in Europe. I didn't understand. I was like, I'm on the front page of a newspaper in another country. Like, it got that far? At first, I didn't want photos taken of me just because I was scared of what would have happened if I really had put myself out there. You know, the internet is a scary place. Like, I could have been doxxed, I could have been harassed. There was protesters who had showed up dead and just, I was very much afraid of that. And I was had very conflicting feelings and should I come out and say that it's me or should I lay low? And I just decided to lay low. I was watching online on how people tried to excuse the cops' behavior on San Jose's protest from that day. And I knew that what they did was inexcusable. And me continuing to be out there is the only way that they're going to get it. I was still messed up, very much messed up. But I feel like my voice at that point in time mattered a whole lot because my photo had went viral. People were coming up to me, you know, I had some sort of importance in that moment. So when they would ask me, I would tell them exactly what happened, how they reacted and how I felt and how I was doing. It changed from kind of like being just super sad about it all to just pure anger. I know not just from videos, what happens, you know? I experience this firsthand and I have to keep going. I have to keep doing this. I have to keep being out here. Even though I know that it's emotionally draining and physically draining, I still want to be out here and helping the community and doing what I need to do. I've been out here for almost a year now of just protesting every single week. And I can really say now that that was just the start of something much bigger than what that picture was. Thanks for listening to You Had Me at Black. We'll be back this fall with new episodes. As we enter into what I know many of us are hoping is a new chapter, We hope that these stories help you to reflect on the last one with a new perspective. One that inspires you to radically imagine your life and the world you want to live and thrive in. May you be motivated to fight for it in ways big and small. You Had Me at Black is executive produced by me, Martina Abraham-Zalunga. Nicole Hill produced this episode. Chelsea Daniel and Akira Charles made it sound good. And Nelly Swazungu holds us all together. 